Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. This week is Parashah 13. You find that on page 60 of your complete Jewish Bible. Parashah 13. Yeah. Exodus. You want me to start? You haven't you been starting? No, I haven't been starting. Then, but I can start now. No problem. <clears throat> These are the names of the sons of Israel who came into Egypt with Jacob. Each man came with his household. Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All told, there were 70 descendants of Jacob. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, as did all his brothers and all that generation. The descendants of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew very powerful. The land became filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. He knew nothing about Joseph, but said to his people, Look, the descendants of Israel have become a people too numerous and powerful for us. Come, let's use wisdom in dealing with them. Otherwise, they'll continue to multiply, and in the event of war, they might ally themselves with our enemies, fight against us, and leave the land altogether. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built for Pharaoh the storage cities of Pitom and Ramses. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and expanded, until the Egyptians came to dread the people of Israel and worked them relentlessly, making their lives bitter with hard labor, digging clay, making bricks, all kinds of field work. And in all this toil, they were shown no mercy. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was called Shifra, and another Puha. When you attend the Hebrew women and see them giving birth, he said, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. However, the midwives were God-fearing women, so they didn't do as the king of Egypt ordered, but let the boys live. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and demanded of them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, It's because the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They go into labor and give birth before the midwife arrives. Therefore God prospered. The midwives and the people continue to multiply and grow very powerful. Indeed, because the midwives feared God, he made them founders of families. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, throw in the river, but let all the girls live. A man from the family of Levi took a woman also descended from Levi as his wife. 
when she conceived and had a son. Upon seeing what a fine child he was, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took a papyrus basket, coated it with clay and tar, put the child in it, and placed it among the reeds on the river bank. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river while her maids and attendants walked along the riverside. Spotting the basket among the reeds, she, she sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and looked inside, and there in front of her was a crying baby boy. Moved with pity, she said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. At this point, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go find you one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter answered, yes, go. So the girl went and called the baby's own mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will pay you for doing it. So the, women, the woman took the child and nursed it. Then when the child had grown some, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she began to raise him as her son. She called him Moses, which means pull out explaining because I pulled him out of the water. One day, when Moses was a grown man, he went out to visit his kinsmen. He watched them struggling at forced labor. He saw an Egyptian strike a Hebrew, one of his kinsmen. He looked this way and that, and when he saw that no one was around, he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrew men fighting with each other. To the one in the wrong, he said, Why are you hitting your companion? He retorted, Who appointed you ruler and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? Moses became frightened. Clearly, he thought, the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he tried to have Moses put to death. But Moses fled from Pharaoh to live in the land of Midian. One day, as he was sitting by a well, the seven daughters of the priest of Midian came to draw water. They had filled the troughs to water their father's sheep. When the shepherds came and tried to drive them away, but Moses got up and defended them. Then he watered their sheep. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How come you're back so soon today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. More than that, he drew water for us and watered, our, watered the sheep. He asked his daughters, Where is he? Why did you leave the man there? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was glad to stay on with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zephorah in marriage. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Gershom, foreigner there, for he said, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Sometime during those many years, the king of Egypt died, but the people 
of Israel still groaned under the yoke of slavery. They cried out. Their cry from, for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the sheep of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Leading the flock to the far side of the desert, he came to a mountain, the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of Adonai appeared to him in a fire blazing from the middle of a bush. He looked and saw that although the bush was flaming with fire, yet the bush was not being burned up. Moses said, I'm going to go over and see this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't being burned up. When Adonai saw that he'd gone over to see, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, he answered, here I am. He said, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, because the place you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, he continued, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Adonai said, I have seen how my people are being oppressed in Egypt and heard their cry for release from the slave masters because I know their pain. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that country to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pritzi, Hebi, and Jebusites. Yes, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen how terribly the Egyptians oppress them. Therefore, now come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you can lead my people, the descendants of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said, said to God, Who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And he replied, I will surely be with you, your sign that I have sent you will be that when you have led the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Look, when I appear before the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What am I to tell them? God said to Moses, Yahweh, Asher, Yahweh, I am will be what I am, will be, and added, here is what to say to the people of Israel. Yahweh, or I will be, has sent me to you. God said further to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered generation after generation. Go, gather the leaders of Israel together and say to them, Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have been paying close attention to you and have seen what is being done to you in Egypt. And I have said that I will lead you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land 
of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pritzi, Hibbi, and Jebusi, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will heed what you say. Then you will come, you and the leaders of Israel, before the king of Egypt, and you will tell him, Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go three days' journey into the desert, so that we can sacrifice to Adonai, our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you leave unless he is forced to do so. But I will reach out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders <clears throat> that I will do there. After that, he will let you go. Moreover, I will make the Egyptians so well disposed toward the pe this people that when you go, you won't go empty-handed. Rather, all the women will ask their neighbors and house guests for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, with which you will dress your own sons and daughters. In this way you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses replied, But I'm certain they won't believe me, and they won't listen to what I say, because they'll say, Adonai did not appear to you. Adonai answered him, What is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. And Moses recoiled from it. Then Adonai said to Moses, put your hand out and take it by the tail. He reached out with his hand and took hold of it. And it became a staff in his hand. This is so that they will believe that Adonai, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has <clears throat> appeared to you. Furthermore, <clears throat> Adonai said to him, Now put your hand inside your coat. He put his hand in his coat, and when he took out his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, Now put your hand back in your coat. He put his hand back in his coat, and when he took it out, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. If they won't believe you or heed the evidence of the first sign, they will be convinced by the second. But if they aren't persuaded, even by both these signs, and still won't listen to what you say, then take some water from the river and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will turn into blood on the dry land. Moses said to Adonai, O oh, Adonai, I'm a terrible speaker. I always have been, and I'm no better now, even after you've spoken to your servant. My words come slowly, my tongue moves slowly. And then Adonai answered him, Who gives a person a mouth? Who makes a person dumb or deaf? Keen-sighted or blind? Isn't it I, Adonai? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what to say. But he replied, Please, Lord, send someone else, anyone you want. At this, Adonai's anger blazed up against Moses. He said, Don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levite? I know that he's a good speaker. In fact, here he is now, coming out to meet you, and he'll be happy to see you. You will speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his, teaching you both what to do. Thus he will be your spokesman to the people. In effect, 
For you, he will be a mouth, and for him, you will be like God. Now take the staff in your hand, because you need it to perform the signs. Moses left, returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, I beg you to let me go and return to my kinsmen in Egypt to see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And Adonai said to Moses in Midian, Go on back to Egypt, because all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started out for Egypt. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. Adonai said to Moses, When you get back to Egypt, make sure that you do before Pharaoh every one of the wonders that I have enabled you to do. Nevertheless, I'm going to make him hard-hearted, and he will refuse to let the people go. Then you are to tell Pharaoh, Adonai says, Israel is my firstborn son. I have told you to let my son go in order to worship me, but you have refused to let him go. Well then, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, Adonai met Moses and would have killed him had not Zipporah taken a flintstone and cut off the foreskin of her son. She threw it at his feet, saying, What a bloody bridegroom you are for me. But then God let Moses be, she added, a bloody bridegroom because of the circumcision. Adonai said to Aaron, Go into the desert and meet Moses. And he went, met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told him everything Adonai had said to him in sending him, including all the signs he had ordered him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the leaders of the people of Israel. Aaron said everything Adonai had told Moses, who had performed the signs for the people to see. The people believed. When they heard that Adonai had remembered the people of Israel, and seeing how they were oppressed, they bowed their heads and worshipped. After that, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Here's what Adonai, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they can celebrate a festival in the desert to honor me. But Pharaoh replied, Who is Adonai that I should obey when he says to let Israel go? I don't know Adonai. And I also won't let Israel go, they said. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert so that we can sacrifice to Adonai our God. Otherwise, he may strike us with a plague or with a sword. The king of Egypt answered them, Moses and Aaron, what do you mean by taking the people away from their work? Get back to your labor. Look, Pharaoh added, The population of the land has grown, yet you are trying to have them stop working. The same day, Pharaoh ordered the slave masters of the people's foremen. You have no longer to provide straw for the bricks the people are making as you did before. Let them go and gather straw for for themselves. 
but you will require them to produce the same quantity of bricks as before. Don't reduce it because they're lazing around. This is why they're crying. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Give these people harder work to do that will keep them too busy to pay attention to speeches full of lies. The people's slave masters went out, their foreman too, and said to the people, Here is what Pharaoh says. I will no longer give you straw. You go yourselves and get straw wherever you can find it, but your output is not to be reduced. So the people were dispersed throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The slave masters kept pressing them. Keep working. Make your daily quota, just as when straw was provided. The foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's slave masters had appointed to be over them, were flogged and asked, Why haven't you fulfilled your quota of bricks today, yesterday and today, as you did formerly? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and complained to Pharaoh, Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw is given to your servants, yet they keep telling us to make bricks. And how your servants are being flogged. And now your servants are being flogged, but the fault lies with your own people. Lazy, he retorted. You're just lazy. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to Adonai. Get going now and get back to work. No straw will be given to you, and you will still deliver the full amount of bricks. When they said, you are not to reduce your daily production quota of bricks, the foremen of the people of Israel could see that they were in deep trouble. As they were leaving Pharaoh, they encountered Moses and Aaron standing by the road, and they said to them, May Adonai look at you and judge accordingly, because you have made us utterly abhorrent in the view of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Moses returned to Aaron and said, Adonai, Why have you treated this people so terribly? What has been the value of sending me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt terribly with his people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Adonai said to Moses, Now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. With a mighty hand, he will send them off. With force, he will drive them from the land. Then we have Isaiah 27, 6 through 28. You find that at the bottom of page 475. The time is coming when Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and flower and fill the whole world with a harvest. Adonai will not strike Israel as he did others who struck Israel. He will not kill them as he did the others. Your controversy with her is fully resolved by sending her into exile. He removes her with a rough gust of wind on a day when it's blowing from the east. So the iniquity of Jacob is atoned by this, and removing his sin produces this result. 
He chops up all the altar stones like chalk. Sacred poles and sun pillars stand no more. For the fortified city is alone, abandoned and deserted like the desert. Calves graze and lay down there, stripping its branches bare. When its harvest dries up, it's broken off. Women come and set it on fire. For this is a people without understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not pity them. He who formed them will show them no mercy. On that day, Adonai will beat out the grain between the Euphrates River and the Vadi of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, people of Israel. On that day, a great shofar will sound. Those lost in the land of Asher will come, also those scattered through the land of Egypt, and they will worship Adonai on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Woe to the haughty crown of Ephraim's drunks, to the fading flower of its proud splendor, located at the head of the rich valley belonging to people overcome with wine. Adonai has someone strong and powerful. He comes like a hailstorm, a destructive tempest like a flood of water rushing overwhelming. With his hand, he hurls them to the ground. The haughty crown of Ephraim's drunks is trampled underfoot. And the fading flower of its proud splendor, located at the head of the rich valley, is like the first ripe fig of summer. Whoever sees it, picks and eats it. On that day, Adonai Tazavo will be a glorious crown, a brilliant diadem for the remnant of his people. He will also be a spirit of justice for whoever sits as a judge and a source of strength for those repelling enemy attacks at the gate. But there are others reeling from wine, staggering about because of strong liquor. Cohen and Prophet reel from strong liquor. They are confused by wine. Led astray by strong liquor, they err in their visions and stumble when judging. All tables are covered with vomit and feces. Not a single place is clean. Can no one be taught anything? Can no one understand the message? Must one teach Barely weaned toddlers, babies just taken from the breast, so that the one has to use nursery rhymes. Precept by precept, precept by precept, line by line, line by line, a little here, a little there. So with stammering lips and a foreign accent, Adonai will speak to his people. He once told his people, it's time to rest. The exhausted can rest. Now you can relax. But they wouldn't listen. <sighs> so now the word of Adonai for them comes precept by precept, precept by precept, line by line, line by line, a little here, a little there. So that when they walk, they stumble backward and are broken, trapped, and captured. So listen to the word of Adonai, you scoffers, composing tongues for this people in Jerusalem.
And then we have Isaiah 29, 22 and 23. Therefore, here are the words of Adonai who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob will no longer be ashamed. No longer will his face grow pale. When his descendants see the work of my hands among them, they will consecrate my name. Yes, they will consecrate the Holy One of Jacob and stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those whose spirits stray will come to understand, and those who complain will learn their lesson. Now we have Matthew 2. 1 through 12, page 1224. After Yeshua was born in Beit Lechem, in the land of Judah, during the time when Herod was king, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard of this, he became very agitated, and so did everyone else in Jerusalem. He called together all the head Cohen and Torah teachers of the people and asked them, Where will the Messiah be born? In Beit Lechem of Judah, they replied, because the prophet wrote, And you, Beit Lechem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod summoned the Magi to meet with him privately and asked them exactly when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Beit Lechem with these instructions. Search carefully for the child. When you find him, let me know, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had listened to the king, they went away, and the star which they had seen in the east went in front of them until it became, until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Upon entering the house, they saw the child with his mother, Miriam, and they prostrated themselves and worshipped him. Then they opened their bags and presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they took another route back to their own country. And we have Acts 7, 17 through 35. And that starts at the bottom of page 1368. As the time drew near for the fulfillment of the promise God had made to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt increased greatly until there arose another king over Egypt who had no knowledge of Joseph. With cruel cunning, this man forced our fathers to put their newborn babies outside their homes so that they would not survive. 
It was then that Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. For three months he was reared in his father's house, and when he was put out of his home, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. So Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became both a powerful speaker and a man of action. But when he was 40 years old, the thought came to him to visit his brothers, the people of Israel. On seeing one of them being mistreated, he went to his defense and took revenge by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed his brothers would understand that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't understand. When he appeared the next day, as they were fighting, and tried to make peace between them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? The one who was mistreating his fellow pushed Moses away and said, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? On hearing this, Moses fled the country and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. After forty more years, an angel appeared to him in the desert near Mount Sinai, in the flames of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw this, he was amazed at the sight, and as he approached to get a better look, there came a voice of Adonai. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Moses trembled with fear and didn't dare to look. Adonai said to him, Take off your sandals, because the place you are standing is holy ground. I have clearly seen how my people are being oppressed in Egypt. I have heard their cry, and I have come down to rescue them, and now I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge, is the very one whom God sent as both ruler and ransomer by means of the angel that appeared to him in the thorn bush. And then we have 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 25, and that's on page 1436. 1 Corinthians 18. 14. 14, excuse me. 18. For if I pray in a tongue... 18. 18? That's all right. I thank God. Oh, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you do. But in a congregation meeting, I would rather say five words with my mind. Wait a minute. Five words with my mind in order to instruct others than a thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. In evil, be like infants. But in your thinking, be grown up. In the Torah, it is written, By other tongues, by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says Adonai. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. 
While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole congregation comes together with everybody speaking in tongues and uninstructed people or unbelievers come in, won't they say you're crazy? But if you all prophesy and some unbeliever or uninstructed person enters, he is convinced of sin by all. He is brought under judgment by all. And the secrets of his heart are laid bare. So he falls on his face and worships God, saying, God is really here among you. Oh, thank you, Father God, for a great Shabbat. We honor you this day, Lord, as we do all the rest of the week. But this is the day that we really emphasize it and do our best to stay away from our ordinary chores. We hope that your strength will reveal itself among the people. All those unbelievers and all those people that are unschooled and not knowledgeable about your power. We hope that we get to witness them waking up to how mighty you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen.